I was waiting on you. <laughs> anyway, how's it going, mate? No, 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 we're just fucking rolling no, with this. I'm not sitting down again. Good evening, Finn. How are we? Good evening, dear sir. Very well, very well. What about yourself? Yeah, good, good. Just been surviving. Lockdown 2, it continues. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a whole trilogy made of this. How's things <laughs> over your end? What have you yeah, been up to? Pretty good, man. Um, you know, considering, considering. Uh, just been editing away last episode, which was our very first guest. The wonderful Mr. Stephen McCall. Should we take a drink to Stephen McCall? Actually, you'll take two drinks. Cheers, Stephen. Cheers, That was Stephen. an excellent, excellent episode. It was an excellent episode. A lot of episode. great insight, a lot of entertainment, a lot of value, I think, a lot of people will get from, from the last week's episode. It was hugely entertaining. That story about um, him on the set of Rushmore, telling that Disney exec to... Fuck you, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? That's a definite must-watch, must-watch. Um, so yeah, apart from that, man, all good, all good. What are, what are we doing this at? Great question. <laughs> Following on in our journey to bring more valuable content to creatives, this week we're talking about how to sell your creativity. We love selling creativity. We love making money from our talents. Who doesn't? But for those who they, they're at the start of their journey, where do you start? How do you succeed? And what things can you learn from our mistakes that we've made along the way. So that's what we're gonna be chatting about this evening. Martin, let me let me kick off the the subject matter for this app because it's something that well it's it's the whole reason why I learnt video production, really. Because I was working shitty jobs like in bars, call centers, like random jobs, bowling alley, like I've I've worked shit tons of unskilled jobs is what I'd say. There's nothing wrong with that work. And I thoroughly enjoyed the majority of it, mainly because of the people I was working with. But yeah. it was unskilled work. And what I wanted to do is to develop a skill that I enjoyed, so i.e. my creative outlet, generate a skill around that that was saleable, something that I could say, hey, I have something that you want, I can do it for you, and here's the price. And that took Time, energy, study, equipment, uh, I'll say time again, because it just takes time. You can't do it quick. There's no get rich quick scheme for creativity. It's about putting in the hours. You know, if you're a complete natural savant, then, you know, very, very lucky. So one of the questions that I wrote down here was, how do you value creativity? Right, so there's a question for you. Martin hasn't heard this question, by the way. This is the first time Martin's heard this question. So how do you value creativity, Martin? <laughs> time and effort. Good answer. Just because someone puts in time and effort, we've worked with people who have put in time and effort and their creativity has been rubbish. So is it time and effort that you judge creativity on? You haven't actually mentioned creativity in terms of the measure. How do you measure creativity? And therefore, how do you sell creativity? And one way to sell creativity is by time and effort. Have you worked hard? And have you done that creative output for a certain length of time? And we're gonna get into some of those challenges later on, but I just wanted to pose that to our audience as well as like, how do they value their creativity? Start mm. thinking about that. It's a good first question. Um, and it is tied up with talent, time and effort. Very, very much so. Throughout this ep, I'm hoping that we're gonna get to a more solid idea of how you do value your creativity and therefore how you can make money from your creativity. Because if someone doesn't value your creativity, they're not gonna buy it. Finn's quick stat! And this is from the awesome Professor Scott Galloway over at Section 4, also does a great podcast called uh, pivot and his own podcast called The Prof G Show. Check them out. Only half of millennials, which are like up to 40 from the ages of what, 20 to 40, give or take, that kind of age group. Only half of millennials are earning more than their parents, which is a depressing, depressing statistic. Because we, like mm. we like to show our society going up. But in terms of how we're valuing the time, effort, and I guess creativity that millennials are driving into the economy, we're not valuing it. What we're doing is we're protecting 
all of the value that baby boomers have created. So I think that's why this episode really struck a chord with the both of us, is because fucking statistics like that, that prove, that prove that it is more difficult for us to earn a decent living than our parents. Fuck you, Finn. Ah, oh, fuck you, Martin. Fuck you is our new segment where we deep dive into, it's basically a question and answer, but it's all to do with the subject matter of this show. So Finn, the first question is, how did you start making money from your creativity? So I guess the way I started making money from my creativity, which came around purely from, I guess, my network and my willingness to say and explain to people what my vision was of where I was now and what I wanted to be doing. When I bought my first camera, I was working in a call center and I was I was telling everyone, oh, no, 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 like I can't come out. Uh, I'm putting money aside. Like I, I specifically said to people what my plans were yeah. um, and people who were above me in age and position. And because I'm always willing to give time and energy to other people on a daily basis, little things, people are often willing to do little things back. And it could be just an introduction or a, oh, I know someone who's interested in video production. That nice guy, Finn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first thing I did was to tell people. So that's really how I started is by just marketing myself in a soft way. Not like some people that you see nowadays yeah, who are like yeah, yeah. blatant self-promoters, really cringy, no one likes it. It actually rubs people up the wrong way. It was yeah. in, a, in, a, in a kind of, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. So that's how I started. How did you start making money from your creativity? I had the bonus of social media when I started. And mm. although I wasn't a hard marketer, I would just make videos with my friends on my phone and I would just stick it on Instagram. So I just carried on just making videos for fun and putting it online. That was all I did. I didn't hard market. I didn't, I used a couple of hashtags, but I wasn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said I was promoting myself. I was just putting it out there. And so once I put it out there locally, businesses would know my name. They would see drone stuff. They would see that. And then inquiries just came in. So consistency and just putting your work out there, I think is a great starting point to make money as a creative. Cracking response. And you did very well, very well. Um, and your content's awesome. Finn, preparation is key. So what should you start doing before you sell your creativity? It's probably the things that, that I didn't do. As did I. Yeah, which you should do now. Um, you know, it's, it's a different environment now as well. Lots of things are easier now. And um, one thing is more challenging is that it's a lot busier out there. There's more competition, but I see competition as a good thing. If you see competition out there for the same creative product or service that you deliver, that is a good thing. Cause it means that if they're selling it, there's a market for it. And it means that you can carve off some of that market for yourself. And a little bit of competition improves all of the work, right? Makes you improve. So the first thing that I didn't really do because it just came quite naturally, but if I was proactively, strategically thinking about, right, I wanna do this research, like it's an obvious answer, but in terms of the specific research, I would be looking at who else is out there selling my specific niche in whatever creative bent that I am delivering, whether it's a product or a service, who's out there selling it? How are they selling it? In terms of how are they communicating it? Where are they communicating it? And importantly, how much are they charging for it? You need to get your, your pricing right. And that's something that I'm always interested in. And sometimes you can't find that information out very easily, but you can yeah. always drop them a line, interested in their services, asking for a price list. You know, there's lots of ways that you can get prices. I did this exact thing. I made a fake email account <laughs> and I emailed inquiries. You sly dog. 
I did it so many times, so many times. Because it's important, because it the, the pricing thing for sure, that was one thing I struggled with. The only time I could find pricing was, it was like down south, like London-based production companies where they just have a rates card on their website. But like yeah. for anything up here or anything like local, it's really it's difficult unless you speak to people. So I made a fake, fake email address and got my info there. Good job, good job, it's very slack. Essentially, research your competition, or as I like to call them, your rivals. Yeah, it's healthy competition. With us, it's it's all about improvement and being yeah. at the top of your game. And what better way to do that than have healthy competition on the side? So I'll throw the question back at you, Martin. If you were to want to start making money, what would you do before you got started? Much the same. When those jobs started, when those uh, like local businesses started sharing my, my work that I would put out. I started to look at all these businesses around me. I was brought up in Putlockery, which is a tourist-driven um, town. Back in the Pike Peak of Summer, it, it was like looking around and seeing so much potential business. I basically just wrote huge lists. The types of videos that you could create for different types of businesses. So I had like real estate written down, I had bars written down, I had restaurants, various community groups written down. Basically every single thing that was happening in this busy little tourist town, I was writing down, putting into categories and working out if there was money to be made there. And then just started making my way down the list and um, getting as much wee jobs as I could. And at this time I had very limited equipment. I was filming on a phone. I think I had a really not video friendly DSLR, but it, it did the trick. It got a few under my belt. You invest in the equipment and then it just goes on and on. Good job, mate. Really good job. Nice, nice plan. Um, and evidently you strategically implemented it to great success. And you could replicate that for, for any creative outlet, mm. any creative thought with a little bit of research to confirm that there is a market out there and then create a hit list, right? So who can you approach to sell it? And what is it that you're actually selling? And we'll get into yeah. more of that later, I'm sure, uh, based on all of our sweet, sweet segments to come. Right, but we've got another question, do we not? We've got question we number do. three, right? Yeah. Question three, Finn, what other skills do you need to sell your creativity? I have worked with a lot of other creatives through the work that we do. Musicians, graphic designers, set designers, costume, makeup, like lots of other creatives. And if there is one thing that I would always go back to is communication. People say a lot about personality. That is very, very true, but that's difficult to quantify. Communication is quantifiable. You can learn communication, you can improve your communication, and therefore, I would say that communication over personality is a better trait to develop. What I mean by that is written communication, emails, messages now as well, text, live chat, video calls on video, absolutely, face-to-face. -face. Sales is, is similar to this. You can learn sales. Sales is communication. And people often think that if you can sell something, it's based on your personality. Like, oh, they, they, they bought from you because they liked you. You may be more likely to buy from them, but it doesn't mean that you will because that sales kind of attitude and communication comes from practice, script. One thing that I've done in terms of improving my communication, when I'm needing to deliver something, and it's real simple, practice. It's writing it down in a script, practicing it so that it feels like I know innately what I need to communicate in, a, in an order that makes sense and practicing it officially enough so that when I do come to say it live on the spot, it comes out supernatural. Just to echo what you're saying, talk to yourself. Flashback to episode one. Talk to yourself. Yes. Practice, because I do it all the time. When I when I have a, a meeting coming up and I've got something I want to say, some kind of pitch, I'll just say it. I'll just play it out and I'll just say it. So talk to yourself more often. What skills do you think are important to uh, either practice or to um, to have innately when you're wanting to sell your creativity. Not far off what you said and um, communicated much better than I can. But I think the key take home is you need to be able to maintain relationships, whether that be being nice, being friendly, 
um, going above and beyond what you're promising, maybe even underselling yourself a bit so that you are always going above and beyond and maintaining communication throughout. Relationships in business and selling your creativity are key. One customer, whether they know you previously or not, that loves your product or service and really likes you as a person, because maybe you've gone above and beyond, you know, they will sell your shit for you. It's all about maintaining relationships as best you can, knowing when to walk away without um, without screwing yourself over. Yeah, well said, Martin. You need to you need to maintain your professionalism. Yeah. You need to be thinking not just about you as an individual. You need to be thinking about representing you as a brand, a personal brand. Really, a personal brand is so powerful because it supersedes any work that you do. You can work for any company that you want and at the same time you can be developing your personal brand on LinkedIn, on any other social network, and people will know you for you, not your job title or the company that you work for. Representing yourself when you're starting out, it's important to try to differentiate between you as a person and an individual and your your creative self that you're representing. It's the business of creativity. But there we have it, dude. So I, I think we've we've really nailed that one on communication and relationships. Um, it's so important. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Cut, Cut two. It two. So Martin, all we want is just the tip. If you want to make money selling your creativity, the best and foolproof way to do that is to market yourself, is to promote your work, is to make the work, put it out there, get people to see it. And the best ways to do that is to have a website, to have a portfolio, to have a showreel, to have your work in a space that you can fire out to anyone and everyone. So that's my tip. Market yourself, promote yourself. Good man, and thanks for summarizing there because I was feeling a bit of shaft at, at the end there. Finn, I've spread my legs now, give me the tip. <laughs> so what I would say is it's really important to get your finances sorted. You need to work out how you're getting paid. Are you invoicing? Is it through an online shop? Is it through PayPal or Stripe? How are you getting paid into what account? Ideally, you've got a separate account to get paid into and work out your pricing so that you know exactly what you're charging so people aren't getting charged various amounts depending on your mood. So that's what I would say is get your pricing sorted and work out how you're getting paid and be professional about it. Cut two. Cut two. From the field, Finn, anything interesting happening in your working life right now? So we're, we're talking about selling uh, creativity. People will probably garner that, you know, I'm a videographer by trade, but over the last five years, I've been retraining myself because of an interest in education. My mum's a teacher. I thoroughly enjoy learning things, whether it's just learning about what someone else enjoys or I've got just broad interests, I guess, right? Lots of creatives had broad interests, but some of them are really focused. So if you're really focused, that's really valuable, but having broad interests is likewise valuable. It's allowed me to be able to train a lot of people in video production because I've worked in loads of industries, I enjoy it, and I have to make money from my creativity. I've put that all online. Surprise, surprise, 2021. Surprisingly, I've been planning this, as you know, for like years. years. Yeah. But the technology that I wanted to create in terms of creating a community. I wanted to sell equipment. I wanted to enable um, e-learning that was functional and enjoyable and couple all those things together. And so I've created Fosho Crew and my first three crew members are from one of the UK ambulance services, which is super, super exciting. Awesome. And they are awesome. <laughs> they, they, like they are awesome. Like I so enjoy meeting up with them and passing on my knowledge and learning stuff from them about the ambulance service and all of that world. Um, so we're working on projects that involve uh, anything from CPR, like how to um, help someone who's had an out of hospital cardiac arrest at home through to defibs and all, all that jazz. So I had the first training session today um, and we were just going over the equipment pack because we provide the equipment, the training and the support. Um, 
<laughs> and they they loved it. And I asked them at the end, like, because um, all, all of these things are recorded so that they can watch them back. And um, that's one of the, the valuable things of these live lessons. It's always a bit awkward when people like sing your praises like yeah. to your face. Yeah. Like I assume pre people probably do that quite regularly behind my back because people contact me after the fact who I've never, and they're like, so-and-so said that I should contact you. And that was really, really nice. Um, so I said, like, do you mind if I use some of this like for promotion? Like, um, cause that would be great. Um, and they're like, yeah, of course. Da, da, da. So I'll be, I'll be releasing some of that next week. But there we have it. Awesome. That's, great stuff. that's, um, that's my from the field. What have you been up to yourself? Uh, I've been doing a lot of prepping and planning. As our one viewer may or may not know, I run a non-profit called Tunes in the House, and it's basically an online musical community born out of lockdown. And it's been going, it's still going strong. Surprisingly, it's still going strong. I mean, like, I'm not surprised, it's lockdown too, that's why it's still going strong. Um, but we've basically been looking towards a second year of it. It's currently funded by the National Lottery through Creative Scotland. I'm looking at ways we can develop what we've already um, built uh, this year. So yeah, working on a proposal for that. I'll, ex I'll explain more once I have more to share. And out with that, hosting a couple of virtual festivals. So working towards that. Lots of lots of prep, lots of um, professional artists involved. So yeah, just prepping and planning. Dude, that is awesome. I can't wait to hear more. Shall, Shall we? we? Cut to! We should do our own intro. We should do a mix-up intro. So let's try and like do a... Like imagine I put just a beat. Just a... Mix it up. Mix it up. Mix it up. Mix it up. Give me some... Mix it up! Give me some samples. Give me some samples. Like do some... Um... Give me up, right, um, wait, we'll break up, right. If you're, oh, if your mother only knew. If your mother only knew. Nice, nice. That should be enough. That should be enough. If your mother only knew. Put you. Need a clap in there as well. Um, all right, cool. I'll make a beat from that and do a mix it up thing, like tunes in the house style. We should do our own oh, intro. We should do a mix up intro. So let's try and like do a like imagine I put just a just a just a mix because we had no awesome. metronome it. so it might be totally it doesn't uh, it doesn't okay. matter it doesn't matter <laughs> okay. it's fucking awesome anyway that that is that, that is, is live creativity yeah, that yeah. i would pay for I, I that, pay that i would pay, pay for, for if someone wants to pay us for this creativity it either needs to be a product or a service that we yeah. truly believe in that sponsors the show and it's not going to fucking change the content they will have to put up with the shit that we talk um so i would love it Personally, if Innocent Gun would fucking sponsor us. Please! <laughs> because then I could get some of my money back. Some yeah. of my money back! Well, it's you first, Finn. What have you got for me? I'll keep this short and sweet. When I'm working away, whether it's business development, whether I'm working on product and service stuff, or even when I'm editing things that don't require music, I'll often listen to classical music. Now, I really don't know much about classical music. I don't know the names. I don't know the frickin' quartet. I don't know the orchestra or the composer or any, any of that, like some of the big ones, right? But this one just played onto my, my back palate, my back brain palate, and it was forced right into my frontal lobe because of the, the sheer music of it. Because I, I use classical music to facilitate my creative thought. Um, and this one just brought me out, like it, it demanded my attention. And so I, I went back and I listened to the full track and it just made me think of 2020. It made me think of the COVID crisis. It made me think of the ups and downs. Even in the, the good positive times, it was still really dark. And like this, this music track really epitomized that, I thought. So you've encouraged me to say it in the accent of which the composer would have spoken in, so let me do it. This is Dan's Macabre 
No, that's not even fucking right. French, French, just think baguettes. Think baguettes? Dance macabre. Camille Saint-Saëns. This was composed in 1874. And interestingly, I looked into some of the history. When this was released, no one liked it. Well, you know, people, some people didn't like it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't well uh, received. And one specific comment mentioned that it was anxiety inducing. Lots of classical music's in popular culture. This one was in uh, Jonathan's Creek, What We Do in the Shadows, Martin Scorsese's Hugo, Don't Fuck with Cats, and also in Disney's Mickey Mouse. So this is the, the tune itself from the composer, performed and, and created by the Polish Nationwide Music School's Symphonic Orchestra in a competition in 2014. These are young people playing this, like, oh, I'm in awe. Dude, like, I, I would encourage people, like, to check that track out. Go to Cut Dash 2 if you, if you want a direct link to, to those guys. What about that xylophone yeah. player? Like, that, that young dude, man. Like, what, late, late teens, early 20s, maybe? Like, fucking nailing that. And I tell you what, like, you, like it actually kind of gives me anxiety. Like, I can totally, I can totally sense what, what they were talking about in, in 74, you know? That's 1874, by the way. <laughs> Not, not the summer of love. If you let the music take you, it definitely takes you across 2020, I reckon. Martin, I've mixed it up for you. Now mix it up for me and all of our guests. Go for it. So one group of creatives who constantly sell their creativity to me are music composers. When I am studying, when I am planning a shoot, when I am writing, I listen to, similarly, that's not how I've never been able to say that word, but very similar, very me similar too. to... Uh, you in terms of classical music I listen to scores um, and often mm. not um, established scores, scores that everyone knows I go to stock websites so I go to Artlist I go to Epidemic Sound I go to Musicbed is the other one and I'll listen to scores that composers have written and produced specifically for video and film, I mean they can be used for a, a wide range of things but that's primarily the focus and I've used a lot of this music in a lot of projects that I have been commissioned for. And so a lot of these artists are getting paid quite well for these projects. Um, an example was a pro project I did last year where we spent about two grand on one, uh, one track, which was licensed four times for a collection of videos for the John Muir Trust. I'll play a little bit now. So if you are a creative, if you are a composer, a musician, consider selling on stock websites. I don't know the ins and outs, I don't know the fees involved, I don't know anything about that, but check it out. If it's something you didn't know much about, check out cut-2.com because we'll have all the link outs to all the stock websites you should be signing up for. Hot take! Have you got a hot take? I've got a hot take. You feeling that hot take? Hot take, a new segment of ours. It's a hot take. It's where we've got a subject that we're gonna discuss and we've really not done the sufficient research into it, but we have a strong opinion about it and we're gonna give it to you as our hot take. So Martin, do you want me to start or do you wanna give your I'll start, hot it's so first. hot, I need, to get it, I need to get it off me right now. I'm burning all over. I'm, I'm burning <laughs> all over. Get it off you, get it off so you, go for So in saying it. that, I get emails fairly frequently from people looking for me to do them a favor, i.e. free work. And we all know <laughs> how much I hate free fucking work. 
exposure bucks aren't a thing. Exposure isn't gonna pay rent. Exposure isn't gonna pay bills. It's just fucking dog shit, isn't it? There are times where you, you should do it or times where you might feel like it's worth doing and that's fine. Anyway, so long story short, I was on a commercial and there was an actor who got in touch with the director and wanted to do a bit more work behind the scenes, behind the camera as opposed to in front of the camera. And so uh, the director said, oh yeah, well, we've got a shoot coming up. Can't, you know, it's low budget, but if you want, you can come along and you can shadow, you can, you know, help if you want. That was kind. Yeah, so, yeah, that's fine. So two or three days later, I get this email. Dun, dun, dun. It's, it's not the first, it won't be the last, but it's a great example of how to not piss off a creative. Or how to piss off a creative. We're going to tear it down and we're going to work out how people can learn from this. Um, it's not about taking the piss, it's not about yeah. ripping the guy, because it happens. I've probably sent out emails like this in the past. It's just a mistake and we've all made mistakes in communication, right? This is a mistake yeah. of communication. I can't wait to hear it. All right, Crack on. Watch my mic here. So, the email reads, Hi Martin, hope you're doing well. I really appreciated the advice you gave me regarding my film. I took that back to my team and we're currently implementing it. After a production meeting, we decided we'd have to upscale our crew a bit. We're needing to add a CEO, which is a camera operator, slash AC, which is an assistant camera operator, to the team. After seeing how professional you were on set the other day, I immediately suggested you and the team told me to go ahead and ask. So, would you like to come on board and be the CEO slash AC? I should come out and say this isn't a paid job, unfortunately, but we will be applying for a festivals in 2021 and 2022 hoping to for some money back from those brackets touch wood as of now the film is self-funded between myself and the writer named blanked that's why we're having to use such a small crew and have a very quick shooting period of just eight days you obviously have more experience between myself and writer blanked Combined on a film set, right. we're both used to being in front of camera, but 2020 has made us both reflect on our careers and shown us that we are in charge of what we do with our time and what we make. I'd love to talk more with you about the project, the crew, and who we've got acting in this. All the best, and I look forward from hearing from you. <laughs> I think the most important thing before I start fucking tearing this thing apart is this email lacks... A lot of clarity and when we're talking about selling your creativity we've, we've talked about communication and that is a, a huge part of that and this email lacks clarity which is what I'm gonna deep dive into shortly this guy was on a shoot with me he saw the large amount of equipment I have and despite my impeccable professionalism and the fact that I have double the experience than him and the writer combined he still thinks it's okay to ask me to work for free for eight fucking days, also in a field that I, I don't fucking work in. A CEO, camera operator, and an AC, assistant camera operator, two completely fucking different roles. Well, big, big productions though, right? Like you can... It depends. It, 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 on a short film, it's kind of different, but yeah. It's a bit like saying we're looking for a director and a director of photography. And it's like, you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens, but they are still two jobs. Yeah. So it's kind of like, so what you're saying is you want me to handle fucking all of that. Like, but you didn't say DP. So it's kind of, it's all, it's all in clarity. There's no clarity. There's no clarity. Yeah. So you're not, you're not even DP. Yeah. So you, you can assume that there's a DP that you're just being camera monkey for. Exactly. So zoom in, zoom out, zoom in. Perfect. If you want someone mm. to do you a favor, a favor as big as this, and I'm not saying people will do this. Eight days. Eight days. Eight we'll days. We'll get to that. Eight days. That's that's a holiday. Like that's a big holiday. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? I like know. I'm going away for eight days. Oh, amazing! That's such a good length of time. It's wild. <laughs> if you want someone to do you a favor, right? When you send an email like this, you need to sell it to them, right? What am I getting for this? There's not anything in that email totally. that is selling anything to me. It's 
we thought you were professional and set, and we want you to do this for eight days for free. Yeah. What the fuck do I get out of it? You get a short film out of it. A pretty nicely shot short film if I'm a DP. But what the fuck do I get out of this? I'll not get eight days of my life back, that's for sure. When you're selling something like this, you got to get them excited. He didn't even tell, give me a logline. He didn't... He didn't explain what the short was about, even in a couple of sentences. So like, yeah. so you're expecting me to read this and then go, wow, I really need to contact this guy and find out more. Like, do you know what I mean? What an opportunity. What, yeah. What an opportunity. Yeah. So you're, it's yeah. almost like, it's almost going back to pitching. So if you're a creative looking to sell your, or, or pitch your, your creativity, this ain't the way to go about it. You can go and you can nitpick with all these things. You can nitpick about lack of clarity and roles. Uh, there's no dates. There's eight days. Eight days for a short film, also, by the way, is a yeah. long time. I've budgeted five to 10K short films and we've done them with lots of locations, lots of professional actors and crew, lots of vehicles, lots of um, set changes. Um, and we've shot them under five days. Eight days screams to me that this is an unprepared shoot and I'm not willing to commit to that because chances are it's all gonna run over. You're going to be doing more than eight days if they're, yeah. if they're scheduling eight yeah, yeah, days yeah. for a short film, which is like, what, 10 to 15 minutes? It smacks of inexperience. And he's an actor. So you can kind of assume that, that there is an experience from a production perspective there, which doesn't bode well for any production um, in terms of inexperience, because it's inevitably going to be a shit fight. As, as you rightly said, there's no benefit to you in that entire email, except for the slight promise of money being made at festivals. But out with that, it, it doesn't even clarify what what you would potentially get, yeah. even if there was any, any, and that's only if there's a competition that involves money. What I would say off the back of that is, what they needed to do was firstly send you a script. That would have been a solid move. The second thing would be to say, here is what you will get from this experience and then list out, and I would put that top of the fold like a newspaper, yeah. put it top of the fold, right at the top. Here's the benefit to you. You will, dush, 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 dush. And you know, if there's not much to give, then that script that you attached needs to fucking sell it. But out with that, there's no offer of compensation, right? So let's talk compensation where you don't have any money and you're asking someone of, even lesser experience or greater experience to help you out on something, what are you compensating them with? You know, could you compensate them with, listen, if you ever need an actor in the future, I'll give you eight days of my time. <laughs> you know what? Because I'm generous, I'll give you 12 days Jeez, of my time. Jeez, you should have put that on the top of the email. <laughs> as an actor. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the last thing that, that I would probably say is that it's posed like an opportunity for you, whereas really, they're asking for you yeah. to do them a favor. <laughs> and therefore, if you, if, you ask, if you ask for a favor, what's the first thing you do? You say, listen, if there's anything that I can do for you, or the last thing that you say, if there's anything that I can do for you in return, let me know. It's very strangely framed. There, there's a line there that says, like, we noticed how professional you were on set. As in, like, I was DP on the set that he was shadowing. So, like, I was running the show, more or less. And they were like called... It's ballsy. It's a ballsy email, isn't it's it? It's either ballsy or, like, blissfully ignorant. But anyway, it's a good example of what not to do. And I'm not, um, like, I'm not naming names or anything like that. But there's, there's a lot to learn from this. Are you going to reply and kind of point out some of these points to, to help him along? Like, that would be uh, that would be a solid move. I received this email in December, and I was so busy with a lot of other projects that I just did not... Oh, he's not followed up? Oh, no, he's not followed up. No, no. You know you know what? That just shows that he he's probably sent that email to fucking 14 people. <laughs> Martin, if I really wanted you to work on, even if I was poor at communication, was blissfully ignorant of the realities of production, I would have followed up and I would have said, hey, listen, I haven't heard from you, but I really, I really enjoyed like spending that time with you. And I think I could, you know. Yeah, cause it shows interest. And I would have appreciated that. I would have appreciated that. It's a long email for a fucking roll of the dice is all I can say. Yeah. 
And my final point, which is slightly less related, but more, more geared towards filmmakers, if there's any aspiring filmmakers there. You don't create short films to win money at festivals, right? There's very few festivals that you will make money from, all right? Short films are an opportunity for you to showcase your talent in storytelling, to showcase your craft if you are in the crew. That's what they're for. You put, you pay to put them into film festivals, reputable film festivals. And if you win, you don't win money, you win recognition, if that. You know, this guy saying, oh yeah, like it's not paid, but we're applying to festivals and hopefully we'll get some money back. Mate, if you apply to 10 festivals and you win like 100 quid from one, you're still not going to make your money back on just the festival submissions alone. So d don't go out making short films to make money. Your film's going to be shit because you're not in it for the right reasons and you're not going to make money. Simple as that. But we're, this, this whole episode is about making money, so how do you make money from short films? You can create short films for brands. You can pitch stories, short stories, short form stories for brands and use it as commercial advertising. Making a short film with your mates in the park, you're probably not going to make much money on that unless the footage itself, and this is another conversation, is sellable. I made a short film on my iPhone when I was... 19 but didn't really have much of a clue uh, what I was doing and there was a scene in that that was ripped from Casey Neistat I don't know if you've seen the jogging thing from years and like mm -hmm. eight years ago and it cuts between one. him in different locations yeah, around, oh. around the around the world one yeah, yeah so yeah so so I did that and I sold 10 seconds of iPhone footage for three thousand dollars to a random stock searching agency when i was 18 19 so this fucking blew my mind and um that's the only time i've ever made money from short films just shooting high quality shit arguably that's not high quality but it was what they were needing at the time for a life insurance advert or whatever but if you commit to high quality work if you practice your craft and, and demonstrate your craft on the shittiest short films you never know. If you if you own the rights to that, you can make some money on the side. But other than that, make short films to demonstrate your craft, have fun doing it, tell some great stories. And use Martin's example of what not to send when you're asking for help to produce your creative works. You know, if you'd like some direct help with producing your creative works or how to approach clients, customers or other creatives, you can always email us at hello at cut-2.com and we will do our best to provide you some help and advice. Why would we do that? Because you've contacted us directly. And if you've got something to show us some love in return, share some of our content, you know, share, share some love. We'll share some of our, our knowledge directly with you and help you along the way. And if you're asking too much, we will fucking tell you directly. <laughs> and very final brief point, if you are this person, send me another email at some point. Don't, you know, you don't have to, but I, I have nothing against you. I have nothing, absolutely nothing. It's just, it's all, every day is a school day, right? So if you see this and you watch this video and you learn something, send me a fucking email and I will reply. When people send emails like this, you just don't have the time to explain all this shit until you have a glass of gin or a beer and you can kind of vent it as well as make it valuable content so drop me a line anytime i will i'd be happy to help out in some capacity not eight days not for free but some capacity burn me let's have your hot take my hot take is on trading time for money and what i'll do to to put it in perspective from my own experience is talk about my own experience trading time for money lots of creatives do that it takes a certain amount of time to create what they have of value and that's what they sell. They sell the length of time from when they start the project or the product or the service and when that finishes, that's when they stop getting paid. A good quick example that you raised earlier where people can get paid multiple times over is for a digital product like a music track. So you can get paid multiple times, hundreds, thousands, millions of times for a single product that you create. As long as it's valuable and people want it, then people will pay for it. Might be a small amount. And these platforms that you can upload your content to, they control the paywall. 
They control how much you get paid, when you get paid, how you get paid, all the terms and conditions. If you can bypass that, go direct to your customer, super valuable. Difficult with a single product, but if you create a suite of products, then you've got an offering, something that you can say, hey, I have all of these things that you can either buy individually or you can subscribe to and buy them as a whole, rather than saying, how long is it gonna take me to bespokely create for you this thing and sell it to you? This is why bespoke single items are really expensive. They're unique, one of a kind. And unless you are uber talented with a big back catalog and a good name for yourself, a good name for yourself right now means a brand. That brand could be your own name or it could be a name that you've made up but it needs to be something that is saleable, something that speaks to people, speaks to their heart, speaks to their mind, and importantly, speaks to their wallet, right? People need to want to give you money for what you're creating. Essentially, what I'm saying is that if you're currently trading your time for money, you are gonna have an upper limit. And that upper limit is not going to be set by you. It's gonna be set by the market. And what I mean by the market, I mean by what people who are buying what you're selling are willing to pay for it at its upper limit if you are the best, if you are the best, right? In your area where, or in your network or within your product or service offering that you deliver it. If it's online and you can deliver that worldwide, your, the whole world is your marketplace. If you're delivering something locally, like video production, then your market is here. And at a certain point, I reached the upper limit where if I was charging more than that, it would be like, where do you think this is? Fucking London? At a certain point though, I was quite happy to send people my price list. And that removes any question of price from the matter. Because if they know how much it takes for me to spend a day on their project, and that's time, right? Because that's production time. You know yourself, if you're out there with a client, you can't say to them like, I'm gonna charge you a day and a half. You weren't fucking there a day and a half. That's impossible. But when you've got a deliverable, like a video, it's a product. We're sending them a product so you can put any price on that finished product you like. How you explain that, how you package that, how you sell that is up to you to work out. And I've worked out some ways to maximize that. But the important part is I fucking deliver. Man, I deliver the best customer service, the best experience of that production. The comments that I receive in terms of, I was really, you know, fearing this experience, but I've really enjoyed it. Those types of things make people feel like I've gotten value, even though that was more expensive than everyone else. In terms of time for money, it's a, it's a loss leader at a certain point. So. The sooner you can move away from trading your time for money, all the better. Just because I can produce things quicker and with better quality, it doesn't mean that I should charge less. It means I should charge more. And that's that's my hot take, is, is time doesn't equal money. Time is a limiting factor. It's the only resource that you never get back. So if you can sell things multiple times over, or to create a, a service or a product that allows you to maximize your time and sell it multiple times over for what you put into it, do that. Especially if it's contributing to your creative juices. So there's my long hot take. Sorry, Martin, you're gonna have to either cut that down or cut it long. Well, Martin, cheers, cheers to that, my yeah, friend. cheers to that. Um, I hope people have found that valuable. Martin, are you sitting comfortably? Are you in a safe space? Well, it doesn't matter because it's couples therapy anyway. So this is a segment where we bring shit that has really been causing us problems, right? It doesn't need to be deep. It doesn't matter if it's shallow. It's just shit that's like winding us up. And it's our ability to be honest, open, and just get an absolute non-professional's opinion on our psychological trauma. So, Martin, tell me, how can I help? Well, this kind of um, draws from a conversation that we've had in the past, or, or very briefly, 
and it is working in the business versus working on the business and it's that differentiation that a lot of people struggle with and sometimes they don't even realize that's what the struggle is for me i can get very caked in on working in the business so that's doing the jobs being creative working with the clients making money and then you're doing that for some time and you realize wait a minute something's not right here i'm either not making enough money or i'm working too hard and i'm not focusing on the business as opposed to in the business and so it's about finding that balance and making time to sit back and focus on very important parts that you take for granted almost and so that's my couples therapy i wanted to know what what you do in that situation how you find the balance how you find the time um my my initial thought is it's going to be hard if you're if you're a freelancer you're going to find that extra hard you will really have to make the time whereas if you have a team it's easier to delegate these you know these these aspects of the business and for you to focus on your strengths and for other people to focus on their strengths because you can't do it all so that's my couples therapy what what do you have what advice do you have in terms of coping with this it's something i struggle with with still to this day because I kind of went up in an arc and then went back down in an arc in terms of building out a business and a team and deciding to roll it back through things that were out with my control and things that were within my control. What I would say is that you need to compartmentalize your time is a little bit like what Stephen McCall said last episode is that you're not going to be a creative 100% of your time. You need to be just a regular human some percent of the time. And that regular human is a skater or, you know, someone who enjoys cooking or someone who just binges fucking horror films on Netflix or spends time with their partner or goes for long walks with their dog, whatever that might be. You do need to spend time on yourself, right? to split your personal and your work time. Because if you don't, I personally don't believe you'll be happy. Some people are happy like that because they don't have any personal interests, any personal relationships. And that's cool. Like the world is a fucking melting pot and there is not one size fits all. But what I would say to help those who are struggling to differentiate between working in the business and let's let's um, clarify what working in the business is is that's delivering the product and service that's like doing the thing that drives the value of what you're currently delivering whether it's just yourself delivering it or whether it's a small business delivering it to scale that up you need people working on the business right you need to manage people delivering that for you and then above that and this is where businesses grow. So what I would say is that you need to compartmentalize your time. You need to look at your calendar and you need to work out times where you are delivering your product or service as a creative. And then you need to work out times where you are working on how you're going to deliver that product and service. And that's you doing the management part. That's you doing the overseeing part when if you want to expand that business and get someone else to do elements of that business, you're now taking on that separate responsibility full-time because it takes that full-time energy to deliver that part. Now, it doesn't mean that that's what you should do. There's this common misconception just now that every business needs to scale and grow and you need to hire staff and you need to dish, dish, dish this entrepreneurial kind of like uh, 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 go out and get if you're not growing then you're failing and it's like that's fucking bullshit man if you are able to make a good living an honest living enjoy your work and make people happy and satisfied with what you do with your creative output you're living the best fucking life because a lot of people in business a lot of the honest people or really the only honest people will tell you that they are trapped in their business. Gets to a certain size where the business controls them. Whereas a sole trader delivering your own product and service, you control your hours, you control how much you get paid, when you work, 
all of that. But really, that's what I would say, compartmentalize. Set aside time in your day to work on the business. And if you don't wanna grow it, doesn't matter. You still need to do your accounts at the end of the year. You still need to work out what your pricing structure is. You still need to work out where you're going to find your customer base, research, keep up to date, communicate, grow your network, make you know active um, you know communication in terms of marketing. You know, there's lots of work that needs to be done, and you can't do it all willy-nilly. Structure. Awesome, man. Great advice. Is that us? Do, am I am I jumping the gun with a cut too? No, that was my couple therapy. Now it's your couple therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that was your. Fuck oh, so it. I was responding. God, fuck! I had a lot to say to to. So, man, fuck! <laughs> did that help? <laughs> yeah, that helped me. I'm cured. Now, Finn, what about your couple therapy? Hit it. Get it. Give it. Hit it. Hit it. Give me it. I love what we're doing with cut two. The problem that I still have is that one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm six beers down <laughs> talking about my professional career. And if a client or a potential client Googles me, it doesn't take <laughs> an <fucked>. FBI agent. <laughs> it doesn't take an FBI agent to find cut two. No. Right? But essentially what I'm getting at now is that it's against the grain of the entire brand that I have built. Yeah. And the see the night the nine to five of me <laughs> of Finn is not it's not, it's not this. Cut it's not chatting shit with you. It's not it's not cut two. It's not using the term good cunt. See see if I see if I use the term good cunt on any, any of the calls. <laughs> You'd be done. What I equate it to is, you know, on Twitter accounts where they're like views on my own in in the in yeah, the bio yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is this is what I equate cut to. It's like views on my own. Please don't judge me as my professional. But you know what? At the same time, I half feel you know what? Like if you've got a problem with my views and that's going to swing whether you want to deal with me professionally nine to well if you've got a if you if you're not if you're not up for having a drink with me although we are a bit more honest like if i was having a drink with a client like here's the problem like here's the problem i i've had multiple <laughs> continuous drinks with clients and i am always on my best behavior yeah you know same, what i mean but here same, i am same. putting putting my my honest like this is this yeah. is no bullshit you're completely nude my problem I want to bring to you is, should I, and the channel, the channel that I'm talking about is LinkedIn. I've not, I've not shared this on any of my professional channels. Like mm. the only, the only professional channels that I have is LinkedIn and the business channels. And so the only channel that I would engage with more is LinkedIn. And I, I kind of, I kind of really want to, like share all of this on LinkedIn because I kind of feel like. You guys, like, you don't actually know me. You know my nine to five. Yeah. And if you knew, if you knew, <laughs> if you knew my, if you knew my post watershed, then would you still, would you still ask me to, you know, produce your brand videos for, yeah. for 2021? Um, for, you know, a national, a national brand. But here's the other thing. Would they care? Well, that's the thing. The people that I work with, they are they are dead on individuals, but the problem is that they're representing a brand yeah. and it's about association. Yeah. And it's like, would that change the brands and the people that I would have to re-associate myself with? I don't know. Like it's a bit of a roll of the dice. So so what 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 are your thoughts? What are your honest what are your honest thoughts? What's your professional um, advice for me? I think it's as simple as this. Are you prepared to take a hit to be yourself? Are you prepared to take the hit? <laughs> I'm prepared to take that hit. I would take the hit myself. See this content? Like it's what it's it's what fucking LinkedIn needs. It's what pe it's what it's you. what people want, I feel like. <laughs> like, I mean that's a very subjective view, but I, I think this is what people want. Cheers. Cheers. If I was a creative and I was watching, I was looking for nice homegrown content that helped me on my journey, I'd fucking watch that shit. I'd share that shit. And if you're enjoying that shit, like it, share it, comment it, 
Tweet it, post it to your grand, pin it on your local notice board. Fax it to your future self. <laughs> this show is never going to be worse than a late night show, you know? Because a late night mm. show, although it's late night and you can kind of say most things, there's still a cap on it. There's still Ofcom at the end of the day. So we're never going to be beyond that. We might talk about controversial mm. subjects. We might swear a lot. But in terms of like being professional, we're still we're still nurturing talent and we're still giving advice and we're creating valuable content. So I think the pros outweigh the cons and if you're willing to take the hit, I would just fucking go for it. Cool, man. You know what? This is who I really am. And if you choose to spend the time watching it, then you can judge whether you want to work with us or not. And I'm cool with it. But right now, given what's occurred in 2020. This is me, and this is cut two. Mar 10 out of 10. What a cracking, cracking episode. I hope all of our audience have found that valuable learning from our insights into making money from their creativity whilst grabbing a drink, learning something new, and cutting to the podcast. Martin, this is the end. So, what do we have to say for ourselves? I don't have much to say other than if you enjoyed the episode, head on over to cut-2.com and you can find so many more episodes like this. Like we said before, we're doubling down on valuable content, so expect to see and hear a lot more stuff like this. Give us a like, give us a comment, share it with your friends and help us spread the word of Cut 2. What we're realistically doing, Martin, is we're recording what we would ordinarily do in a pub, which is generally public. We're just broadcasting it to the world. <laughs> yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> it's completely, it's a dimwit move. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. No, no one should, in their right mind, do it. I might, I might want to review this one before it goes live. <laughs> 